Thank God. Dear Lord God, we are grateful for your word and we're grateful for living in a time we're so available to us in our language. We'd ask that you would mend us to whatever degree is necessary to have us live our lives in comport with the scriptures. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, it's one of those situations where we were talking about something at Wine, Wisdom, and Song. I believe it was the widow's might, the old lady who puts a couple pennies, a couple coppers in the treasury, and the Lord comments how much she gave. And, and we were talking about uh, is it, um, the circumstance surrounding it and how the Olivet Discourse comes right on its heels. And so this morning when I was looking at the scriptures, I was looking at the Matthew account, because we hadn't gone there. We looked at Mark and Luke and Bible study because the widow doesn't, or the, the, the did not show up in the Matthew account. And, but what did show up is Christ's leaning into the Pharisees. It's one of that, that Matthew 23 is what we are in. And it's one of those long passages where Jesus takes no prisoners, lets them know which, where to get off, and consequently, it's helpful for a, a number of reasons. It's a great uh, admonition to those who have pretentious religion in their life, and it's too easy for a church that doesn't care that much about, oh, what should we call it, movements or growth. We don't pass, oh, but you, if you're wondering about the plate not getting passed, and some people, we don't pass the plate, there's a box in the narthex, feel free to get. Um, it's easy to get the self-righteousness of looking at others in their pretentiousness or the way they do things. It doesn't mean they're not being pretentious, doesn't mean they're not playing religion, doesn't mean they're not decorating a wonderful faith with artificial performances. But this morning what I wanted to look at in this passage, we're going to go through the whole chapter, Matthew 23, starting with verse 1. But as I was looking and reading through it, I was going, you know, if I reverse this, we might get instructions out of it, not just oh, they're bad, don't be that way. But what is, the, what is the reversal to the good? What is, if I were to say, and this passage is filled with, you'll see that at the beginning of the verses, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. How can I change that to blessings to you, fellow believers? What would I be saying that is the reverse of the, the, the woe to the Pharisee? What are they doing that I should not be like? So what's the positive thing that I could do to avoid it? Let's start with verse 1. Then said Jesus to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So practice and observe whatever they tell you, but not what they do, for they preach, but do not practice. They bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with their finger. 
They do all their deeds to be seen by men. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. And they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats of the synagogues and salutations in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by men. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brethren. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called masters, for you have one master, the Christ. He who is greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. There's a couple of things in there. I mean, more than a couple, but a few things we're looking at. One is it says they sit in Moses' seat. We were uh, we were looking at this when we were going through Jonah. When Jonah comments that the presence of the Lord was to be associated with the temple of God in Jerusalem, we recognize that God does not dwell in temples made by hands. Even Solomon, when he built the temple commented on that who, what can contain our God certainly not this temple but Jonah's vision of the temple was you might say definitional it wasn't as religious as it was definitional it told him which God the Pharisees and the scribes you don't go oh they're so bad their religion must be wrong Christ is saying they're so bad, but their religion is what? Right. They sit in Moses' seat. So practice and observe what they tell you. A lot of people that you're going to look at who are a disgrace to the kingdom of heaven, but are firmly entrenched in the things of Christ and God in the history of the church, you will find yourself sometimes blessed by bad men. But you need to understand, you need to understand that, that our God, who they claim to serve and fail to, and they sometimes know an awful lot. I, I think I may commented on it last week that Barclay's commentaries on the New Testament uh, were very, very popular, and Barclay didn't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a... Uh, It's sometimes, and it's, he said very valuable things in his commentaries. He could, all sorts of interesting things. You always want to have someone who has their life matched what they teach, but the fact that they're Christian pastors, we accept in many ways what they're conveying, but not what they do. Now, what's interesting is I go later on in the New Testament, and it says, uh, the pastors are not supposed to be domineering over the flock, but setting an example. The nature of Christian pastoring has got to be exemplary. Pharisees were not. They were on the money in their scholarliness, on the money in their research, um, devout, but not doing the things that they were recommending. They were laying heavy burdens, which is what religious people like to do for others. Have you ever noticed, it doesn't matter what religion it is, that as soon as they have a path to controlling your life, they're going to lay a heavy burden on you. You know how some people, some people think that the only way that authority is shown is if you say no? Now you're in charge whether you say yes or no. But they only feel it when they say no because they know that you have to deny yourself. Um, 
there is a um, a quality of you might say devotion, religious devotion, that people who are given access to guide your religious devotion, whether it's for secular humanism or Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter, they get bit bossy pants. I mean, that's what they do. They get into your business and they don't let you do stuff. That's the whole, that's how they live life. They make rules, they enforce rules. They bind heavy burdens, hard to bear. And I put a passage here because I want us, when we get into the woes, and to be able to naturally reverse what is on the page to a blessing by taking the opposite. Because if we know that our Lord, Jesus Christ, in Matthew 11, a few chapters earlier, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. That's what Christianity is like. That's what following Christ is like. Opposite with what man, when they get a religious authority in your life, they come up with involvement, rules, attendance, variety of things. And I, over the years, when as we have almost religiously avoided getting anything organized in this church, it's because of that I have been thanked too many times by dear Christians who said, thank you for not having any programs. Now, we certainly don't have a list of rules. We believe that you should follow the Holy Spirit, and we can tell if you're not. That's as simple as that. We can tell if you're not. We can tell if you are. Follow Jesus Christ. But his burden is easy. Theirs is heavy. Because they want to design it, heaviness is part of the reputation of strict religion. Look at any, any religion. Look at a Taoist monk. You know, they're going to have the same... That's what monks do, right? They have a bunch of heavy regulations. They don't get to eat this. They don't get to do that. They have to stay awake for 12 days. Whatever it is. They can't talk. Let's make it hard. That somehow, in certain circles, religion and academics, rigor, rigor is viewed as the thing itself. Well, I don't know if you remember the passage... I think it's in Paul. These have indeed the appearance of wisdom in promoting rigor of devotion and self-abasement and severity to the body, but they're of no value in checking the indulgence of the flesh. That's Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. Christianity is different than religion looks, even the religion that to which you belong. Because you are living in Western civilization after 2,000 years of Christendom, and it has piled up a, a, a nasty pile of reputation and the way we do things, things that we think are just really normal, some things that we think are almost de facto holy. And I want you to start believing Jesus Christ and following him. Because... An awful lot of Christian history and religious history is run by people who really like being in charge and really like having the reputation of being holy. They like being seen by men as holy. 
So they wear their phylacteries long. You say, what's a phylactery? No, they're either, their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. You say, fringes, phylacteries. Now, what's interesting about phylacteries and fringes, they're biblical. Okay? A phylactery was out of De uh, Deuteronomy 6. I have it here on the side. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words, which I command you this day, shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk to them when they sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. And you shall bind them as a sign upon your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. That's the, where the phylactery comes from, a little box that strict Jews would write the words of that scripture on and they would tie it to their forehead and tie it to their hand. Fancy lacing. Very fashionable. It was a good look, but it proved to people. What did it prove to them? I take this seriously. I take this seriously. But it's, you see, well, it's kind of a metaphor, isn't it? I mean, it's, isn't it kind of, you want the Word of God and always before your eyes and before your... Or you can make metaphor out of that if you want. I don't mind. But the other one on the fringes, Numbers 15, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the people... The Lord said to Moses, speak to the people of Israel and bid them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put upon the tassel... Uh, of each corner a cord of blue and it shall be to you a tassel to look upon and remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them not to follow after your own heart and your own eyes which you are inclined to go after wantonly so these tassels these fringes the Pharisees were making sure you saw it they made the phylactery wider it's a little wider it's, I mean if it's a mark of holiness you want to make sure people notice not just blend in with the rest of them holy guys. Maybe make your, your, your lacing really interesting. And the fringes, well, it's blue, but is it cobalt blue? I mean, seriously blue? And these fringes, longer and longer. Even, you, you read, uh, have you ever read Epictetus? Is, uh, he's a Stoic philosopher, uh, his Enchiridion, where he talks about people faking being philosophers. It's, it's almost the same. It's this yeah, you wear your hair long and you wear longer robes and, and you, you want to look like a philosopher. We do it in our society. Young man wants to be thought a thinker so he gets a tweed herringbone, you know, and antelope suede elbow patches and he, and he gets, a, you know, a pipe because he wants to look thoughtful. We have emblems. Now you say, is there anything wrong with a tweed jacket? antelope suede elbow patches, or the pipe, or the fringes, or the phylacteries. Especially when you see that this is the uniform that was suggested. The one about the fringes, it's not a metaphor for something. They're tassels. Blue ones. The Bible told you to put, the, to put it on. Now what's the, good, what's, what's the problem here? What if God had said somewhere in the New Testament. And I want all presbyters, bishops, etc., to wear little white tags on their collar. Little white, you know, just like an Anglican or a Lutheran. 
Well, what, what would I be doing? I'd be wearing one, right? Because I'm a pastor and the Bible said a verse. Oh, but you can tell how well someone can wear those. And when they wear them. Some guys, they only wear them, you know, out on the street. You know, they wear other things, robes and in, in church. But boy, you'd probably see mine pretty, pretty well. It'd be a little wider. Little racing stripes, maybe flames painted on it. Just make sure that you notice my uniform. Because it's a biblical uniform. Now what's the problem here? They do their deeds to be seen by men. The tassels and the phylacteries, they're unavoidably seen by men. But they're not there for them, they're there for you. So that you can look upon and remember all the commandments of the Lord. When you go out to a bed, bath, and beyond, and you buy one of those tin signs to hang on your wall, I hope I'm not exposing anybody to ridicule, that says, faith, hope, love. Or, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Which is a great verse, right? Now, why do people, there are two reasons why people have the phrase, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, on their wall, in their home. One is so that they can see it and be reminded that they need to serve the Lord. And the other is that other people can see it and believe that they're the kind of people that serve the Lord. Simple. To be seen by others, to be seen by you. To remind you, to remind others. Because godliness or religion has its external effect. Sometimes the external design, the uniform, was suggested by God. We were talking to somebody who was it about women, veiling of women in the church, which I kind of like. Just in the church now, not Safeway. But boy, if we, if, 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 there's a choice at one point. The Bible suggests, in 1 Corinthians 11, that when a woman prays and prophesies in church, she should veil her face, either with her hair, a veil, something, cover her face. I don't know what you think about it, I don't care. But say somebody said, yeah, I think it's biblical. When I pray, prophesy in church, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to veil myself. I'm going to get a veil too. At that point, at that point, a decision has to be made. Not whether you obey or don't obey, but who are you doing it for? Because there's a, there's a task that the woman is there, says this is why a woman ought to be veiled, because of the angels, whatever you think that means. Now, but if it, the, the task is nowhere suggested so that other women in the church will think you more righteous than that. It's not a uniform for self-advancement. person could be biblical. Guy could be wearing the clerical collar. Guy could be wearing the fringes, the tassels. So as we look at this passage... I want you to be thinking that God is always trying to get you 
to turn your religious effort inward. It's too easy because we get rah-rah, team-oriented to get movements going and, and excitement in the streets and more Christians doing Christian things and, 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 and beating out the secular humanists somehow or beating the other religions, beating the Muslims and the Mormons. We win because we've got more things going on. When you start having your religion be measured on the outside, you're going to get people who are designing it to be seen on the outside. The Lord wants you to fix it. Not because the outside doesn't need to look like sweetness and light, but he sure doesn't like fake sweetness and light. He doesn't want somebody... Well, the descriptions are here. Woe to you, verse 13. Scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would to go in. Now, as we go through this, when self is involved in religion, because self is the place all sin occurs, right? You just... Uh, the, 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 the preservation, the following, the, the uh, obedience to self rather than the obedience to Christ. When it is uh, grabbing you religiously, it's going to grab you in very um, organized, legitimate, granted, historic, dignified terms. Now, biblically, I don't know if you knew this, I'm a bishop. Not because we're diocesan or some archbishop bishoped, bishoped me, but because that's what it calls people who do what I do in the church, bishop, episkopos. That's what it says. But what does it sound like to you? Bishop? You know, he said, well, we'll call you pastor, but it's bishop stuff. Well, because it's become a uniform dignity like Viscount or like you know a, a duke or an earl in the church that's what bishops are dukes or earls because you can then move up to archbishop and some places cardinals and then popes you can get those get the titles put enough time in get your resume buffed up it no longer is the kingdom that God tried to design because standing and recognition and title what is it? Christ forbade you know some of you are, most of you are Protestants right I hope all of you are Christians most of you are Protestants But you almost feel like it's necessary, you know, rubbing your obsequious, pudgy little hands together, that when you talk to a priest of certain denominational affiliations, instead of calling him Dave, though his name is Dave, you call him Father. Well, yes, Father. Certainly, Father. The Lord just forbade you to do Rabbi, Father, or master in a religious circumstance. You say, you mean I can't call my dad father? No. He's talking about people who are your teachers in the true faith. 
The Pharisees were the teachers in the true faith. They sat in Moses' seat, listened to what they have to say. Don't do what they do, but certainly don't call them your master, your rabbi, or your father. But give us enough years, because that's what we almost seem to be about, is how did not, not only do we follow ourselves and our religion, so religion is about us, but how do we get around all the nonsense that the actual authorities said? Why do you call him Lord, Lord? You don't do what he says. Knock it off if you call any man father in a religious sense. Any man rabbi. That just means teacher. Well, can I say my chemistry prof is a teacher? Yes. But don't call me rabbi. Don't, because I'm in the... But aren't you a teacher? Yeah, but that's those titles, that standing, that recognition. Don't say it's all it's historic. What well, is? Disobedience is very historic. The uniform may be biblical. The fringes may be, I have a verse for the fringes. But you dangle external expressed Christianity in front of people and people will squat on that so fast, that's where they'll camp out, that's where they'll build denominations over many years, because they can award people with dignities, they can award people with standing, they can give them the seats of honor, and people who like seats of honor become your leaders. And then you wonder why you're so shocked at either the liberalism or the hypocrisy the lack of belief or the lack of holiness. <laughs> you based it on the wrong thing. Now, here's the first thing that is a woe to you. You neither enter yourselves nor do you allow anybody else to enter. What you must do to be blessed is enter yourself. That means you must believe the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ and you must not be keeping others from believing the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the blessed position. The woe to you position is, you don't go in yourself to the kingdom, and you keep others from going into the kingdom. Because of jealousy, you're after followers for yourself. Woe to you, verse 15, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you traverse sea and land to make a single proselyte. Oh, isn't it great how mission-minded they are? Mm. Have you ever thought that? That somebody automatically... We have certain categories. One's the collar. You think the person is holy. How come he's molesting little boys? Well, because well, he's got the collar. I called him father. Wait, what's going on here? All the rules are broken. He's a missionary. He shouldn't be... Missionaries, people think because someone gives something up and goes a long distance and no longer can shop at Walmart and they're in New Guinea serving some tribe, that that's kind of, that's kind of points. You get points. Religion, dignity points. And the Lord says, no, 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 no. You guys, the Pharisees, they're doing that too. They're going all over the world to make one disciple, making them, what? Twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Because what's important, because the kingdom of God, when the Lord says in, in Luke, 
the kingdom of God is within you. The whole thing is about you figuring out what in you needs to be redeemed by Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, the inness of it in you, letting the outness of it, the expression of it, all be the kindness of the grace of God coming out of you, out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. And the only way that bad men can sound religious is if they make up the, the rules for the religion themselves or make it really simple and kind of a caricature. Because <coughs> they've got to hide what their, their heart is about. But Christ wants your heart to be actually fixed. One, the teachers should be fixed. Two, they should want others to be fixed. And three, they don't go on missions that no one gets anything other than damned by because of what we're representing. What we preach must save. Otherwise, you're just making life hard for you in New Guinea and, and worse for other people. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing, but if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. That sounds like a rule for a rule's sake. You blind fools, which for which is greater, the gold of the temple or the, or the temple that made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing, but if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So he who swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it, and he who swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. I don't think it's a lesson in swearing. But it's a lesson when it's a, it's a lesson that they are just having, you might say, irrational fiat claims that this is good, that is bad. That is holy, this is sacred, that is not. Christ is going, are you out of your mind? Isn't the, you might say, the ordinate path of your, um, of your claim proving you wrong? Because the altar makes the gold sacred, the altar makes the gift sacred, the temple makes everything in the temple sacred, but you're trying to make things strangely difficult, itemized. You're looking for a religion in Christ that its ordinate placements of things is reasonable. Because that's all Christ brings up. He just brings up the contrary reason. He says, you just say that that's more sacred. You're bound by your oath here and not there. And he plays it back to them and says, well, that doesn't make any sense at all. Our faith our faith is led not only by the revelation of God because we're seeking, reason, we're seeking ordinate value for all we need to have all things authoritative granted to us so when God says this is more important than that you admit that this is more important than that when reason tells you this is more important than that you believe reason woe to you scribes and Pharisees hypocrites for you tithe mint and dill and cumin 
and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. They say the Lord didn't have a sense of humor. Now, which is easier to do? Which is easier to do? 10%, which is standard. Now, I personally don't believe in the tithe. It's the, it's the last thing a pastor should tell a church. I realize that. We won't ever have any money. We'll never pay off the building, I'm sure. But I don't believe in the tithe. If you want to, knock yourself out. But I believe in Christians giving. Being generous with their, their stuff, helping out, whatever it is. But if you believe in tithing, 10%, standard. I hear there are churches in Pullman that go for 23.3%. But uh, let's, let's not get radical because the math is too hard on 23.3. 10%, you can do the math. Oh, I just take away a zero. Oh, those things are easy to see. Again, tithing is something addressed to the Bible, just like the phylacteries were, just like the tassels were. We can, we can find, just like a, the veiling of women is addressed, it's almost like a, a, a godsend to people who want a fake religion. Where you want, to, you want to have a life that you decorate with all the things you can do without godliness. Where you could walk up to the tithing box in the narthex and drop a check in, 10%. Because God's impressed. He was expecting 10. He got 10. He sees your name on the check. It goes on the records. Permanent, permanent record. The Lord says, uh, you know, there are things more ordinately important than that. <coughs> Justice, mercy, and faith which you have neglected because that's what happens when a person finds there is a dress code there are some people have you ever heard of the thing called stolen valor that's when people who Walter Mitty types who want to be marines dress up like marines in public situations and claim to be marines until a real marine finds them then they claim to be beaten up. A lot of the problems is they get the, you know medals in the wrong order. They don't understand because you know that the uniform is the end result of what the Marines will do to you. Makes you into something. This is the uniform you have to prove it. We know that things like uniforms are easy to put on. People even think, having put on a military uniform, that they're kind of virtually military for having the uniform on. They feel heroic. There's something about a uniform. Now, I, the Navy uniform was sweet, but it didn't have that heroic quality. You had a little Dixie Cup hat. You looked like the Cracker Jack guy, you know. And 14 button pants out of wool. And 14 buttons is a lot of buttons, folks. And they all work, yeah. But 
you were when they tried to force us, this is back in the 70s, back into more normal uniforms like the rest of the services wore, there was a riot and uh, nobody wanted to wear the new uniform. Everybody wanted the Cracker Jack uniform, the flap. Why am I talking about this? Because anything that is an easy external image, your heart, if you're about driving outward in your religion rather than driving inward, rather than saying, let God's kingdom make me someone else than who I am, everything that is decorative about religion, you're going to like those verses. You're going to like those moments. Especially when people believe. Because people, the Pharisees, had a great reputation. What do you scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and the plate and inside, but inside they are full of extortion and rapacity. You blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside also may be clean. The second is automatic. If you want to have a life that's religiously good to the benefit of others outside of you, you still have to do it Christ's way. You fix the inside. The outside will be clean automatically. It's people who think, I'll just have to fake it until I get religion. I just have to push it, all the externalities, all the uh, kinds of speech codes and, and uniform codes. That's not the way we do it in the faith. Not, we don't give money. We want to live by justice, mercy, and faith. We need to, I mean, if everybody said, I'm bringing, what am I bringing to church this morning? No, I, silver and gold have I none. I'm bringing justice, mercy, and faith to church. And I'm going to drop that on a few people who need it. Now, it's a little easier to give 10%. A little easier to write the check, look at the page stub, write the check. Woe to you, verse 27, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, which, by the way, when I'm gone, dead, is what I'm getting at. There's not a whole lot of retirement here at the church. There's not a, I would like a mausoleum, like a big and glorious mausoleum. I want ashes, not a, I don't want many like Lenin laid out. I, I, I don't want a kind of an urn. I have the urn bought. I bought it at Macy's um, on sale. It's in the library. I don't mind if it's mixed with cigar ashes. But kind of a neoclassical mausoleum. Nothing, you say to yourself, Evan, where did the term mausoleum come from? The tomb of Mausolus I of Haile Carnassus. That's why it's called a mausoleum. Dang it. Built by his wife. Built by his wife. Well, here's the danger. That's what people's lives are like. Rotten on the inside, dead body, family crypt. But they can make them look good on the outside. So you also, verse 28, outwardly appear righteous to men, but within you are full of hypocrisy and iniquity.
when the task that you're about remember the, t- the task is one is it inward or outward the temptation when it becomes outward becomes that it be seen as righteousness when it's inward that it be righteousness okay the reason this is a temptation any outward expression of religion when it I, I when I live for the outward appearance of the things being met I get satisfied when I appear righteous I want to be satisfied when I am righteous inward if I knew if I knew how grotesque the inside of the mausoleum was hypocrisy and iniquity dead men's bones and uncleanness care about righteousness I might run into too many Christians who have all sorts of theological arguments of why righteousness is not even possible what do you mean holiness what, what do you mean what do you mean holiness that's why Jesus died you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God that's what the rules are we're about holiness and I know Christians who are so ready to go be religious for the rest of their days as long as they get the credits of that but they don't want to be devoted to righteousness inside their lives woe to you scribes and Pharisees hypocrites this, is, this has not been a good day for the scribes and Pharisees for you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous saying if we had lived in the days of our fathers we would not have taken part with them in the shedding the blood of the prophets thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets fill up then the measure of your fathers you serpents you brood of vipers how are you to escape being sentenced to hell Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify. Some you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from town to town. In other words, he said, you've admitted that these guys who killed the prophets were your dads by saying, uh, we wouldn't have done the same thing as our dad. Because everyone likes the, the, you might say, the righteous leaders of the long dead faith. Nobody really thinks that they're going to be more like the Spanish Inquisition if they are given a chance. And believe me, I know dear Christians, people I think are going to heaven, who have given, given the chance to physically harm someone that didn't believe correctly in some vile method they would for Jesus. We're just like them. Because when we're given the opportunity, this is why I says, this is why I'm going to send you some righteous men. This is why I'm going to send you prophets, wise men, and scribes. Because I know who you are. You just like claiming it wouldn't have been like that if you had been in charge back then. The unrighteous will always act in an unrighteous fashion. How are you going to act now? How have you felt 
I have seen too many situations where righteous um, changes, and, I, and believe me, I don't believe, I'm not a liberal, in case you're wondering. Heck, I'm a monarchist. I, 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 I don't even understand liberal conservative. But, back when the Jesus people came on, some of you are old enough, a lot of Christians had a hard time with it. Not because playing guitars in church is somehow better, it's worse. But, they didn't like everything in question. The people weren't following the rules about whatever the denomination was. It wasn't that guitars were bad, it's just that they were different. But sometimes the righteous show up in your life. How do you feel? Now, because your measure is not what you claim you would be if you lived in the 1800s, what you claim you would be if you lived in the 1500s at the time of the Reformation. Doesn't matter what you claim you would be like, what would you be like in the early church? There were a lot of bad people in the church, in the early church. Are you going to be one of those? What really the test is, is, is where your heart is about righteousness. Do you serve your denomination or your theology or your, or your externalities more than you serve righteousness? Do you find that someone who disagrees with you, I'm a, a radical Anabaptist and I believe in freedom of the will, but when I meet a reformed man who loves the Lord Jesus, and he's a five-pointer, okay? Disagrees with everything I, I hold, I disagree with everything he holds, but Jesus and righteousness is first in his life. I have far better fellowship with him. Far better, because righteousness now, with the righteous, is what's going to set you apart. Do you seek out Christians who love the Lord Jesus Christ? Or do you, are you seeking those who, you know, will shuck and jive with you, with your uniforms and your religious actions. He says that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of innocent Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all this will come upon this generation. That's the book of Zechariah. We don't have a record of that that murder. Christ is the record of it. But he's basically bracketing all the Old Testament. He stops with Zechariah, one of the last prophets of the, of the post-exilic period. He's also identifying Jerusalem the place where he had made his name to dwell, the centerpiece of the physicality of God's religion. This was where the threshing floor of Aruna was, where the, 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 the temple was built by Solomon. And God made his name dwell there and he made it holy. This was his city. And he says, I'm going to blame this generation in this city for all this blood because it is that bad. They do not react well to the righteous. And they go and prove it by killing Christ and killing the apostles. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, killing the prophets and stoning those who are sent to you. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you would not. 
Behold, your house is forsaken and desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. <coughs> what did Christ come to do? He came to save sinners. He came to save people who were aware of the same thing that killed him. That he died for sin. I have to be about that death for sin. It was a path that he led us to that your inward man was saved by this act. This is what he came to do. And he held out his hands to a disobedient and contrary people and they would not. They'd much rather play religion. When you say blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord we're choosing which religion we're going to serve. We've got a Christianity that is kind of the hint and echo of so many men down through history. Not Jesus Christ. So many men. So many men's thoughts. And we have served their dignity. We have served our own dignity. We have served our own desire for recognition. But the Lord would like to build his faith into what he wants, not what you want. We'd rather build a movement that served what we thought was important. Christ came in the name of the Lord. We should be thinking that those people and he are blessed for doing so. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful. We ask that you would be kind to us as you have been. We ask that you would teach us not to be external but let the externals just come naturally from the kingdom that you make in us for righteousness sake thank you for your son and his death his burial and his resurrection from the dead and in his name we pray amen